Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Networks. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network. I'm Mark Shaw, broadcasting live from New York City. I'm a certified life and business coach, and twice per month I host Mark My Words, which is a life coaching-oriented show where I interview various people with inspiring life stories of overcoming adversity. I also speak with authors of great coaching-related books and programs, as well as many others who have great things to say. And sometimes I coach listeners who call in live on the air. So tune in the first and third Sunday of every month. Before I introduce my guest for tonight, I want you to consider how often you may have sat on the couch knowing that you should be getting up and doing something, but you just kind of stayed there. It happens to all of us sometimes, and it's normal, but sometimes it's a little more severe for some and can last a while. Sometimes these episodes are accompanied by depression. In some cases, the depression passes, and in some cases, it lingers a little longer and other health problems can begin to take hold. So my guest tonight, she experienced this to a pretty significant degree uh, until about this time last year. A year ago, having lost her mojo in a life that she wasn't very excited about, she couldn't walk up the street. She was depressed. She had asthma and other health problems. Somewhere inside of her, though, she knew she wanted to live passionately and happily. Uh, She wanted to have a life that mattered in the world, uh, but her body wouldn't allow her to. Tonight, we're going to discuss her journey and learn how she got from that place in her life to climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to raise awareness for an important cause in the world that most people don't even know exists. She did this to raise awareness about and money to combat something that currently affects 17 million women in the world. That's 17 million women who are wives, mothers, daughters, and sisters who all suffer severe violence, sexual violence in particular, in war-torn parts of the world. What motivated her? to get off the couch and finally stand up for a cause that really didn't even directly affect her in a whole other part of the world. How did she do it? Well, we're going to hear all that and more from her tonight. So if you're sitting on your couch right now, I'm glad you're with us listening to Mark My Words, and I hope that afterwards you'll be inspired to get off your couch and make a difference either in your own life or in someone else's life or in many someone else's lives. I'm very excited to speak to tonight's guest, and I proudly welcome Chelsea Hudson, So, Chelsea, welcome to Mark My Words. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're so welcome. Thank you for being here. And also, just to let our listeners know, we'll be taking your calls during the second half of the show tonight. So if you have any questions for Chelsea or me, uh, please feel free to give us a call. The number here in the studio is 646-716-9397. Uh, There's also a chat room on my show page on the Blog Talk Radio site where you click the link to listen to the show. So, Chelsea, I'm so excited that you're here with us tonight on Mark My Words. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight to chat with me and and, uh, to let our listeners hear your story. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to share with you. 
great. I'll bet you it's something that you didn't expect a little over a year ago to even be sharing or to even have had to share. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we're so excited to hear your entire journey because, uh, you know, we all have, I, th- I think your journey is going to be a metaphor for so many uh, of us who have our own similar journeys. Um, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, to your sharing your story with us tonight. So I know from, uh, from our talking originally that basically a year ago, you literally couldn't really walk up the street. Uh, you were suffering from depression, asthma, other health issues. What, tell us a little bit about what precipitated all that and what it was like for you to be in that space. Yeah, it was a, just a debilitating place to be. I had uh, three young girls at home um, at the time, a nine, seven, and four-year-old. Um, and I, you know, I had been battling some respiratory health issues, uh, asthma, allergies, sinus, that kind of thing for some years. And over the last couple of years, um, it had just gotten worse. I had tried a myriad of different medications, and some of the medications had caused me to gain extra weight, which was depressing in and of itself when you're trying to, you know, just stay on top of things, trying to get in shape, trying to lose baby weight, you know, all of those different things. Um kind of compounded together, and uh, it was just a dark place. I just felt I had, you know, kind of tried to start a couple of diets. I had tried to start a couple of exercise programs and everything I tried. I started well and never finished. Um, So this time last year, it was just kind of a dark place of, you know, I I just had a sense of why, you know, what, why try again? You know, this is, this is just how it's going to be. And, uh, which was even more depressing. So it was kind of like a compound effect of all of these different things. Sure. And it's so common, you know, when we're in that kind of space to just really kind of lose faith and just feel like, and just kind of give in that, you know what, I mean, why is it going to change? It hasn't changed by now. Why is it going to change at all? Um, so yeah. And you had said, too, that you, you lost yourself and your mojo over the course of a few years by that point in time. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I um, I had started traveling internationally when I was 16 and uh, had my first experience overseas when I was 16 on a mission trip. Um, it was, you know, cliche and all, it was life-changing for me. I was a small-town Texas girl. Uh, you know, I hadn't left <laughs> Um, my town or my state, really, and, you know, so this was just very out of character for pretty much everyone in my in my circle, in my family, and um, it just, it think, something shifted for me, and I knew that um, I just became very interested in, in different cultures and different people and service overseas, especially. I even went on to go to college and major in intercultural studies, um, And just felt like that was what I was going to be doing with my life, you know, um, that that was what I was called to, um, something in that sphere, something in the um, serving in a cross-cultural kind of way. And over time, you know, I got married. Uh, We did live overseas at some time, uh, which was great. We lived in Europe for a while, had my first Mm -hmm. child there, then came back to uh, America and kind of just, settled into um, kind of a suburban stupor, I would say. <laughs> and, you know, it's just something that I'm not wired for. And I'd nev- I don't think I've ever been wired for. And uh, 
so it's kind of a feeling of being stuck of um just kind of wondering you know what okay this is this is this is what our life is this is what my life is how can i make the most of it within the limitations that that are around me the legit limitations of having young children at home um of you know being kind of planted in a certain place for a certain time and um yeah i mean it just got to a place of of losing that sense of you know i couldn't just up and hop on a plane and take off to Calcutta and, you know, serve in a, in an orphanage or whatever. Um, I couldn't do that anymore. So I kind of lost my sense of, well, if I can't do that, then what can I do? And it just kind of got shelved, I think, for quite some yeah. years, uh, quite a few years. And, yeah, um, years? and then, oh, I'd say since we came back from, I mean, I'd say probably from about 2008 on, um, mm. I had, uh, you know, just kind of pulled farther and farther away from that sense of, of calling. And it wasn't, I mean, I, I had actually kind of come to head with that um, in 2014. I did finally kind of step out and say, okay, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm wired for something different. And so what can I do within the confines of my, of my limitations of my life? Um, and I went to India and I did a, a photography, um, a humanitarian photography trip on my own, uh, just with friends from college. And it was it was a huge step to kind of step out of my my current life, um, but it was just a first step. And uh, you know, came home from that, and it was almost like that was my first mountaintop kind of experience. Mm-hmm. After so sure. many years, came home from that and kind of tanked again. And that's where I was, you know, in the beginning of 2015, I think, was just, you know, of, uh, what's next, you know? Right. What, was that, what did an average day look like for you then at that time? Oh, it was, uh, it was very um, suburban normal. It was get up, make breakfast for three kids, um, get, you know, get hop in the car, you know, running 10 minutes late usually, and, <laughs> you know, get <laughs> missing the bus, of course. Um, so I have to drive the kids to school, drive the kids, you know, two of them to school, one of them to preschool. Um, and then I was, you know, doing some photography work on my own freelance and then just home. So home alone a lot, working mm-hmm. alone, working on my, you know, computer, just kind of away from people and, uh, real life, I guess, you know, uh, kind of hold off, which I, I think added to the depression and added to the sense of, you know, what am I doing with my life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, you told me that when, uh, when, we, when we first spoke that you, you wanted to, to live passionately, but your body, of course, wouldn't allow you to do so. So when you right. were, as you look back on that, what, what did live passionately mean to you at the time when you were thinking that? I think live passionately meant um, being available and being ready and able to go when the time came. When an opportunity presented itself, would I be ready to go? Would I be available to go? Would I have my ducks in a row? Would I physically be able to go? Would my family be ready for me to go? Um, go do something. Um, and I, what and kind I, of you know, I've. Any type of opportunity. I mean, it would be something, you know, I'm a photographer. I love uh, storytelling. I love being able to share about social justice issues in the context Mm -hmm. of um, photographically or illustrating 
just a, a huge global issue and trying to make it more personal, trying to make it more of a relatable issue to, to the everyday person. Um, mm-hmm. So any type of opportunity like that, um, you know, I, I just I wanted to be able to use my skills and my passions and my interest in these things. I wanted to find a way for all of those to converge. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just, you know, being a stay-at-home mom with three small kids, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities, you know, coming across my desk. Sure, sure. And I'm sure it didn't cross your mind like, well, I mean, you know, what happens if I get the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro one day? <laughs> not even close not even close <laughs> very cool so um so uh, you know i'm curious what what did you believe was was truly in your way at the time of living passionately and the reason i ask that is because in my work as a coach um i'm often well aware that well i am well aware that usually when we're in the throes of something the things that we think are in our way are outside of us um, when we look back on them, we're able to see that actually it's really what's inside of us that's in our way. So at the time when you were in the throes of this, what did it look like were your biggest obstacles to having the passionate life that you wanted? Um, I think the biggest obstacles in my mind were logistical. Um, mm-hmm. How could we afford this? How can I go do this? Who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to get them to school? You know, my husband has a um, a great job and but works long hours, and you know he's very supportive of what I do and what I'm passionate about. But you know, there's just a lot of balls in the air to to actually have to juggle for me to go and do something like this, to go do the things that I'm I'm really kind of cut out to do, and mm-hmm. equipped with skills and with interests and with passion to do. Um, so a lot of the things that I felt were holding me back were, were more logistical in nature. Um, and then I think it was just a sense of um, how could I make that happen or how could, I don't know, a sense of also a feeling of needing to be kind of, um, you know, have have more, it's almost like the sense of, you know, when you go to college and you get your degree and then you go mm-hmm. and try to get a job in that field and all of the job applications tell you you have to have five years of experience in that field before you can get that job. That's right. kind of how I felt. Like I want to do these things, but I'm, you know, who am I? I'm just a mom. I'm just a stay-at-home right. mom that that happens to be passionate about these things, but I have – I don't have a master's degree. You don't have the degree. credibility. I don't, you don't have the, the credentials. Exactly. You, the, yeah, you know, so I yeah. think it was a sense of I don't have the, the qualifications on paper that I think that someone should have to do these things or that mm-hmm. I think that someone would want for someone to have to do these things, put it that way. Yep. Sure, sure. Great. Yeah, very common, very common. Now, as you look back to that time, what do you see as a difference um, between what you thought was in your way then and what you now can see was truly in your way of living passionately? Um, that's a good question. I I think the logistics are, are legit. They're always going to mm-hmm. be there, though. They're always going to be on the mm-hmm. table. And with logistical issues, there's always a way around them. I mean, my mom is a... Um, a huge supporter of pretty much anything and everything I ever want to do. And uh-huh. she's available right. and she's <laughs> flexible and she flew in and took care of the kids. 
you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think I'm realizing that a lot of my assets um, are not ever going to be something that's really on paper. Um, mm-hmm. They're my my greatest strengths are more. Um, they're just not the common things that you see on paper that you see on qualification lists or mm-hmm. um, experiential lists, and but that they're still valid. I have people say, you know, we that the the passion and the energy um that I bring to the table to or I bring to a project that kind of thing is uh is something that's of real value and yes. so I think just believing that and being able to speak that to other people and say okay I may not have the master's degree or I may not have the 10 years of experience in this field but this is what I can bring to the table and learning how to articulate that and learning how to be um, to be okay with that and uh, mm-hmm. to not, I feel like I, I feel like I, I have to minimize it sometimes and it's, and I don't, I just need to stop doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. I need to embrace, sure. embrace it and, um, you know, and embrace it for what it is. Yep, absolutely. And it's so great to hear that because that's really the journey that, um, uh, that I bring my clients on, you know, it's about let's get out of our own way. Right. Let's let's, right. Get rid of the, let's get rid of the limiting beliefs that we have about well one can't do this without that. Well, says who? You know. Right. Um, and I interviewed uh, on my show a couple of years ago uh, a gentleman who um, ran the Boston Marathon on crutches because his leg was amputated at the hip at age seven due to cancer, and at wow. fifty years old. He ran the Boston Marathon. Um, since then, he's run it again and has gotten his wife into running, right? I think most people in his situation would go, run the Boston Marathon, me? Yeah, right. right? And they would exactly. think, well, that's clearly an external obstacle. That's not my own fears. I only have one leg, <laughs> you know. Um, and he just chose not to buy into that. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about, is just not buying into, well, I need to have these you know, these credentials on paper to do this stuff, but that there's a way that you can live passionately. Um, I mean, you know, what you did, climbing the mountain, that was living passionately. You didn't need a degree to do that, <laughs> and you found that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's really about, sometimes it's about redefining what does live passionately mean, you know, because so often we grow up with, well, it means I have this kind of job, this kind of a degree, and I'm earning this kind of money, and my family's proud of me, and a very traditional sort of thing, which for many people that really works. For some of us, we have a whole different route to take. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's about discovering that. It sounds like uh, that's that's part of what your journey is about, recognizing that and not holding back your gifts, thinking that because they don't translate to a degree on paper that they're not valuable. Exactly. And I think when anytime you're kind of in a minority of, you know, I, the way I want to live, the way I'm wired to live is not like most of the people around me. That doesn't make me any better or worse than anyone else or anyone else better or worse than me. It's just different. And I think yep. when you are in a minority in in how you see life or how what you want out of life, it's really easy to talk yourself down and to talk yourself mm-hmm. out of it. Um mm-hmm. you know, because there's not a whole lot of other people that are living that way and around you. And I mean I, I 
I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but I know on, on my team of, of, you know, 14 women climbing Kilimanjaro, when we all sat and talked after the summit, after the mountain, about, you know, why? What, what was your why? Why did you get to this team? And there were a myriad of answers, but almost all of us said, I just wanted to be with people that got me. I wanted to I wanted to be around. I wanted to be with a community of people that that get this about me. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, that's that's the the hard part about <laughs> kind of being a minority in your in your environment and how you want to live and how you're wired to live um is is trying to find that uh find someone that gets that from you. <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. You know, it's it's really about um uh, finding the true you and what are you here to express and how do you express it? You know, right. So, um, yeah, it's, and that's, you know, that's how much of a coaching work is about. Cause again, I, I find people are in their own way rather than, um, uh, external things being in their way. It's really, it's how we look at our situations that limit us and give us stress more than the situations themselves more often right. than not. That's the case. Yeah, you know. I can see that. Um, yeah, we have yeah we have these default lenses that we look through life at, right? And uh, the lens colors the reality, and we think that that color is the truth, and it's really not. It's true for us, but it's really not the 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 truth, right? And certainly, your journey kind of really shows that, um, and continues to show that because you're still on it, you know. So exactly. Um, so in April, so it was April of last year, right, that you that you got off the couch and you started uh, what was known as a couch to 5K that involved running and hiking. Um, is that correct? That's right. Cool. So what was the turning point for that that got you to take such a leap at a time when you were really feeling horrible and lost uh, within yourself? Um, I understand there, there was some relationship uh, to that moment of uh, – uh, was it the Outlander series on TV that you were watching from that couch? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's baffles me looking back on it. Um, I had discovered a a book series by Diana Gabaldon called Outlander, and she's written um, eight books in the series. She's in the process of writing her ninth, and I had fallen in love with the books. I I discovered them in January of 2015. Fell in love with the books, just could not put them down. Um, and uh, some sometime in January, a dear friend introduced me to the TV show that there was actually a, a stars uh, TV show called Outlander that had started up that year as well. And that um, had started in the fall of 2014, actually. So I started watching mm-hmm. that, and you know, it was just a, it was a fun escape. You know, honestly, at the time, it's you know historical fiction. There's some sci-fi. There's some time travel. There's romance. It's just a be- It's just an incredible story, and I got sucked in, hook, line, and sinker. Um, became became a fangirl for the first time in my life at age 36. <laughs> um, so. You know, so I was having, you know, it was honestly at that at that time from the January to to into March. This was my escape. It was just a, it was a, a necessary escape for me um, in the in the time that I was, you know, that kind of the darker time that I was in. And um, as part of that fangirling status, I started kind of reading up on some of the actors of the TV show, and um, and one of the the main characters in the TV show is an actor named Sam Hewen. Um, 
He's a Scottish actor, um, totally beloved. Everyone just fell in love with him. He plays just the fabulous main character in the in the whole show and, and series. He mm-hmm. is a, an avid fitness buff. Uh, he loves hiking and mountain climbing. He climbs Monroe's or climbs mountains in Scotland, which are called Monroe's Monroe bagging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had done a little bit of research and I found out that he had started this thing in 2015 called My Peak Challenge, and it was a way to raise to use his kind of newfound and instant stardom, really, and platform to raise money and awareness for. Um, um, leukemia and lymphoma research for an organization called Bloodwise, and he was just wanting to share his uh, his passion and love of the outdoors with his fans and to raise money. And so he came up with this idea, like you know, um, to become part of this My Peak Challenge, p- pick a peak, pick a pick, pick a challenge, a physical challenge, and work toward it as a community, um, and then you know, as and then donate toward. Bloodwise and raise money and all this kind of stuff. Well, I discovered this after it had all happened. Um, I think that mm-hmm. they had their big final peak challenge in mid-March, and that's basically when I discovered it. So I thought, oh, mm-hmm. but that's so cool. Um, what a great way to use, you know, your platform, blah, blah, blah. Um, so as I'm poking around on his Instagram, I see a picture of him sitting on top of a Scottish mountain in the Highlands, um, and I – I don't know what it was about the photo, about just the the moment, but I just literally sat up and thought, I want to climb mountains again. Like I had never been a mountain climber, but I had loved mountains. My whole life, mountains have been my my happy place, um, even as Mm -hmm. a child. And it just, something just jumped off the screen, and I just sat up and thought, I want to climb mountains. And that was absurd because I literally could not walk up my street without having almost an asthma attack, wheezing, um, you know, it was, I was just in a horrible shape um, physically. Mm. And so, but that was, it's just something grabbed me of that photo. And I, I keep telling myself I want to print that off and frame it because it was such a defining moment. And that's when I sat up and I just started researching and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do the couch to 5k program. Um, to you know, I don't. I know I don't need to become a runner to to climb mountains, but I need to actually you know improve my lung and heart capacity, my cardio capacity. So why not try the couch to 5K? And it's just a it's a nine week, just little by little building from you know from week one. You literally start it. I think you jog for 60 seconds and walk for a minute and a half, and you do that for 20 minutes. And it just wow. builds each week to by the time, it, you know, week nine, you're able to run um, a 5K or jog a 5K. Mm. And I had, full disclosure, I had tried this program three times before and never mm-hmm. gotten past week three, I believe. Um, wow. So I didn't have a whole lot of faith in myself at that moment that I was actually going to complete. I was, I knew I'd be great at starting it. <laughs> I was motivated. I wanted to climb mountains again. Um, but that was my first step. And my first, um, yeah, my first step really off the couch. Wow. So what was it like once you accomplished that? How were, how were you feeling about yourself and your life at that point? What shifted? <clears throat> Uh, when I accomplished the five, like finishing the program or just starting? Uh, actually, both. Let's talk briefly about like when you started and then when you when you actually accomplished it. 
You know, it felt different when I started this time. I had a goal. I it wasn't just the 5K. I you know I wanted to finish the program, but it was a, it was a means to an end. It wasn't the end in itself. And mm-hmm. I I knew that I wanted to get out there. I wanted to hike. I wanted to climb mountains. I I wanted to be outside more, and be able to be outside more. And so those first couple of weeks, you know, I mean, it was it was a challenge getting through it. I mean, physically, it was it was really a challenge to get even through week one and week two and even into week three. Um, but in that process of discovering my peak challenge, uh, Sam Hewen and you know all of all of this this huge community, I discovered a couple of Facebook groups, um, one called the Peak Warriors. Um, that had some local people that were, these are all fangirls also. (laughs) They're going to hate me for calling them that, but, but it was a group of, (laughs) of women predominantly that had kind of gathered around, had been drawn together through this whole phenomenon of Outlander, the show, the book, Sam Hewen, all of that, and also my peak challenge, but they were all wanting to encourage one another to, to provide a space to support one another on a new kind of healthy lifestyle. So that I discovered them probably about, you know, maybe a couple of weeks into this whole couch to 5k thing. And, right. um, and so it was a support group and I had never been a part of a support group, you know, and people rave about the 12 step programs and about all of, you know, just the, why these support groups are so successful. And I honestly think that has been the key to me finishing this program and like actually sustainably changing my life is having um, having a community around it, having a place yes. where there's encouragement. And there was local, I met a bunch of local people and we started hiking together in this process. Um, mm. And so it wasn't yeah. just this online, you know, little chat room kind of thing. It was really, it was real life people. And we were all on the same journey in a sense of, yeah. of trying yeah. to take back our health and get back our health and our fitness, but also rediscover ourselves. I think all of us were on that journey. So I think well, you know, a community is so important. I mean, to have people who are going through the same thing. And I know actually if that's uh, later when we get to uh, talking about your work in the Congo before the climb, I know that that's pretty much what the essence is of the community that is formed out there to help women. Uh, who are yep. going through what they're going through, you know. And so it's interesting that that was pretty much what prepped you <laughs> to be able to do It's so interesting, and did. it was so unexpected. You know, I, I didn't go out looking for a support group. I just kind of stumbled into it, and mm-hmm. I didn't even have any expectations or, you know, ideas of how this is going to help me, but it literally changed my life. Wow. And it um, was a huge catalyst, you know, for, sure. for everything that's to come. Sure, sure. Wonderful. And, uh, well, cool. When we come back from the break, which we're about to take, uh, we'll, listen to, uh, we'll listen to Chelsea tell us a little bit more about what happened next and when she heard about the Kilimanjaro climb just a few months later in her life. But first, we take a quick break for a little word about our sponsor, Audible.com. We'll be right back. Mark My Words is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're listening to us on right now. 
As you sign up at our URL, which is audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio, you'll get one free audiobook and a month free trial of the service. So that's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. There's some great titles that even relate directly to tonight's topic that are available uh, on Audible. And here's one I found. It's called How to Think Bigger Aim Higher, Get More Motivated, and Accomplish Big Things. Written by Martin Meadows and John, and narrated by John, uh, whose last name I can't pronounce. John Yapain, it sounds like, it looks like. And basically, a synopsis of the book says, have you ever wondered what separates people from, <clears throat> who think bigger, from people who set their bars lower? What makes one person accept low standards and another person constantly raise them? Why does one person strive to build an international organization affecting the lives of millions of people while another is content working their entire life as a clerk? Not that there's anything wrong with being a clerk. Why is one person challenging herself to run marathons, train her body, and get fitter while another is happy living a sedentary, unhealthy lifestyle? Uh, What drives a person who's optimizing every single aspect of their life and what causes another person to maintain the status quo? One can easily say, well, the answer is simple enough. One person is ambitious, while the other one is not. But what exactly causes it? How do you become more ambitious and think bigger? Is it something you're born with and, and can't change, or is it something over which you have control? Well, Meadows found this topic so fascinating, he decided to find out the answer for himself and wrote a book about it. So this book is the result of his research about people who think big and the science of being more ambitious. So that's available on audible.com, again at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. So, um, and now as we go, we get back to the second half of our show here on Mark My Words, uh, we're interviewing Chelsea Hudson, uh, a woman who went literally from her couch to the top of Count Kilimanjaro in less than a year. Uh, to uh, to raise money and awareness about women suffering from immense sexual violence in the Congo and other war-torn regions of the world. So, uh, so Chelsea, before our break, we were talking about um, what it was that was the turning point for you getting off the couch and doing the Couch to 5K and how the community uh, that you found, first on Facebook, but then that took itself offline for you into the real physical world and how that really, really made a difference for you. Um, And then I understand that the Kilimanjaro voyage came along into your life uh, in August of last year, only just a few months later. Um, How did that happen? How did you hear about the climb? Well, I knew um, the the woman that had founded the organization One Million Thumbprints was a friend of mine. And you know, I knew that she was planning this and she was, uh, you know, strategically kind of putting together this team of of women to come together and raise, you know, awareness and raise funds and climb Kilimanjaro in the process um, to, uh, you know, for for the organization and, and for their work in the Congo, in Syria, in Iraq, and in uh, South Sudan. And honestly, in the beginning, I just thought there's just no way. There's no way that I could even... I remember like thinking about it when I first heard that she was doing this and just thinking, you know, I've got asthma, I've got all these issues. There's just no way, there's just no way um, that I could be a part of something like that. And, you know, and that was kind of devastating to think, wow, my health is, is holding me back from something, you know, from something uh-huh. that I would, I think that I would be really, really good at um, and that I could do well. And uh, that was, that was a little, 
that was a little hard to swallow. Mm. Wow, I'm sure. I'm sure, especially, you know, at this point when you were so um, motivated to to move forward. Um, yeah. So, so what was it in terms of, I mean, I, I know that in terms of what drew you to doing it, obviously the motivation about wanting to uh, – to continue your your physical challenge and improving your life, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. What was it that also drew you to it in terms of the cause that this particular client was going to raise uh, money for? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I um, I had been involved in social justice issues for several years up, in, up at that point. Um, I had become pretty passionate about uh, human trafficking and uh, especially child trafficking and things like that. I had three girls, you know, and I remember Mm. writing a blog post one time about how it was having these three girls and looking at them every day and just thinking, you know, what kind of world do I want my girls to grow up in? And then imagining, you know, just the horrors that other mothers of girls are facing every single day of their children growing mm-hmm. up in this world, of their girls growing up in this world. Um, so women's issues and, and uh, you know, girls' education and violence against women, all of these issues are very personal to me in just in that sense of just being able to kind of close my eyes and put myself, you know, figuratively in the shoes of, of another mother that may have mm-hmm. girls in some of these other places. I've been to India. I've been to several countries in Africa. I mean, I've been around the world a bit, and I kind of know what's out there, you know. And so it's not it's not so much of a stretch for me to really imagine what it's like to be a mother of girls in another place in another time. So, so that is has kind of been at the core of why I'm really passionate about these issues, um, and specifically about about this organization. You know, I knew the woman that that founded the organization. I was a, you know, I I just I'm behind her 100%. She's just this passionate leader and and uh motivator and speaker about these issues and about peace and in war-torn areas and things like that. So it was really having, you know, a personal connection with her as well that was that was very attractive to becoming a part of this org, you know, a part of this movement um beyond, you know, mm-hmm. before and and after Kilimanjaro. Oh, great. So let's talk about that that broader picture of 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 people, specifically you, but people in general being willing to do difficult things uh for causes that either no one knows about or even doesn't want to know about. Um, first of all, I applaud you, your whole team, and anyone out there for that matter who does something extraordinarily challenging for a cause that might not really directly affect you. Although, you know, as you talk about your girls and uh, your motivation of being involved, you, you do see a pretty direct connection between, uh, between what's going on in these war-torn areas uh, and your own, your own life. You feel it, it sounds like you feel a pretty deep connection to that. Um, and that's really extraordinarily admirable. Um, what what did it take for you to push past your comfort zone uh, and take that on emotionally, physically, psychologically? Because um, I imagine you ran into all kinds of um, situations where maybe you felt challenged for, for what you were taking on by people who didn't understand, um, right. not to mention the physical demands it placed on you. Yeah, no, I um, when when Belinda – sat me down and asked me, invited me to be a part of the climb. 
and not only just to climb with her, but to be the actual climb and campaign photographer. It was like a dream within a dream within a dream come true. You know, uh, we're going wow. to this mountain. That's what I had had my eye. My, I had had my eyes and my heart just fixed on mountains. You know, since April of that year. I mean, that's what got me off the couch. That's what got me motivated to really make some significant changes in my life. So there was the mountain involved, um, uh-huh. and then there was the cause involved, which was very dear to my heart already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the aspect of, again, just being able to kind of to operate in my sweet spot, to be able to go and photograph um, this experience and photograph these stories of these women in, Cong- in the Congo that we were going to meet with, um, to be able to use my skills and use my passion for storytelling for, with photography, all of that. It was just such a gift to be given. I mean, I, I felt like she handed me just this extraordinary gift in, in inviting me into this. And so it honestly was not <laughs> – there was no hesitation. There was no – it was not a stretch to, to – you know, there was, there was no thinking about it. And I, I mean, I, I think I had the presence of mind to say, you know, I should probably talk to my husband about this, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Um, you know, again, with the logistics and, you know, figuring all of that out, um, I knew he would be supportive of it, but, um, you know, that part of it, there was just so many, there were so many pieces that kind of came together. You know, there's my passions, there's my skill. Um, and then there was just this incredible adventure aspect of it that was, was so attractive to me. So, so it was really no brainer for you to jump into it. It was an absolute no brainer. I mean, I, I think I, I think I was mature enough to kind of stay in my seat, although I wanted to like jump across the table and, you know, kiss her and hug her right then and there. But <laughs> it was such a gift and at that at that place in my life. And 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 this is the kicker. She she looked me in the eye and said, "I've been watching you. I've been watching you get healthy. I've been watching what you're doing. You know, I had gone in some mountain climbs in North Carolina over the summer and, you know, I'd share things on Instagram and you know, things like that. So she had been watching that, you know, yeah, I had gotten really serious about my health and about things. So her caveat was you go to your doctor and if they give you (laughs) the the okay, you know, regarding your asthma and regarding, you know, all this, this kind of thing, then absolutely we want you to be part of this team. I know you can do it, you know? So that was just, it was so significant to me that she wouldn't have been able to offer me that gift of being able mm-hmm. to do this, this big thing had I not gotten off the couch several months before, you know, so it's all inter, all interconnected. And, sure. you know, I still look back on it and just kind of like, wow, did that really just happen? That's one of the things I love about this aspect of life is that, you know, we do something for somebody else yet. It's also a gift to us that we get to do it. I mean, that's what life oh, is made absolutely. of. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so tell us a little bit about your um, your visit to the Congo uh, before the climb, and uh, I know you met a very interesting, lovely woman uh, there named Esperant, who uh, whose photo actually, uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, if you look at the slideshow that's playing um, while the show is running. Uh, you'll see Esperance's photo uh, in there as well. Uh, I know she was really an inspiration to you, to the other women on the climb, and most importantly to the women uh, in her community uh, whom she helps. So tell me specifically about the work over there that she's doing that you're funding and the impact that meeting Esperance had on you. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, this whole movement um, began, the One Million Thumbprints movement um, began really about three and a half years ago. Uh, Belinda Bowman, our, the founder, she had traveled to the Congo um, with a group of, of writers and bloggers and um, had just gone to visit some of the world relief programs that were there in the Congo, specifically around uh, women who had experienced sexual violence in, during war. And uh, she had met, you know, they had sat with, I think there were seven of them on that team at that time. They went and they met with, I think, 11 women, and Esperance was one of them. Esperance shared her story, as all of them did, and they were all horrific. Um, Esperance's story was that, you know, she had, uh, rebels had come through and had murdered her husband in front of her eyes and then um, violently raped her multiple times and left her for dead in the in in the forest she had they had been there collecting wood just for survival you know and uh her Cong some congolese women found her and rescued her and through some of these world relief programs she was able to get um trauma counseling she was able to become part of a, a group that of trauma care group and um and now three years later she's been trained as a trauma counselor and she is now mm -hmm. counseling other women that have experienced the horrors of, of this kind of um, just violence. So wow. she shared her story, and it was just incredibly moving, as you can imagine. Um, mm -hmm. And as they left, uh, as these, these American women left, um, you know, they, were, they had gotten permission from these women uh, to share these stories. And they knew that the, that the American women that were there, they were, they were speakers, they were writers, they were there to to hear these women's stories and then be able to share them on a on a larger platform you know and and really try to get the word out about what's happening to these women in in war zones um especially with sexual conflict and so when Belinda came home, she got an email about a month later, and in that email was a photo of a thumbprint, and it was Esperance's thumbprint Esperance could not read or write. Uh, so when they asked her to sign her name, she, she through an interpreter, said that she couldn't. She, could she give her thumbprint? So she gave her thumbprint. And then she turned to her pastor and said, write under there, tell the world. And that became Belinda's mandate. That was something that just grabbed Belinda from, a, from a, just a deep gut soul level. And she realized, I've been given this. Esperance has given me her story. This is this is her mandate to me, and now I need to step up, you know. And um, mm -hmm. and that's where this idea of the idea of a thumbprint being kind of representative of just your whole being of who you are. And Esperance mm -hmm. had put her thumbprint there and said, "This is me. This is my story, and I I want to give it to you, and I want you to tell the world about it." Um, so that's how that was birthed, and so. You know, so this whole movement, this whole time of preparing to go to Kilimanjaro, preparing to go to the Congo, all of us on this team, you know, we've looked at Esperanza's picture for, you know, weeks and months, and we've read her story. We've shared her story, you know, to, to audiences all over the place, um, on media, in person, everything. Um, but I can tell you that one of the most moving moments of that whole trip for me was walking into this church and seeing this woman, this, this legend, you know, she was, yeah. I just looked, she's just this small she little woman. She's 50 something years old. Um, 
And I just looked at her and thought, you know, did she realize that she has launched, that her story, her boldness and her courage to share out of her own pain has launched a movement of people all over the world that are that are learning about and coming together around this idea of of ending violence against women. So, you know, and I, I watched Belinda, I photographed Belinda seeing Esperance across the room and just tears welling up in their eyes, you know, and, and I photographed wow. them hugging each other and seeing each other for the first time since that initial meeting three years ago. And we wow. were all there in that room because of Esperance, because of her story which was just profound to me. That's amazing. That's really profound. That's really profound. And was Esperanza that said to you, um, if the world knew what we were going through, they would do something? All of the women. We sat in, on our trips this time. We sat and heard story after story. And, and that's what that's what was communicated to us is if the world knew, like if, please tell the world, if they knew what was going on, if they knew what was happening to us, they would do something. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, our initial reaction was very cynical. I mean, obviously not out loud, but in internally, I think all of us on the team kind of looked at each other with a, yeah, right. (laughs) The world doesn't care. The world's not going to do anything about this. You know, and that was our challenge. That was our challenge to lean instead of just pulling out and saying, sorry, this, isn't, this ain't going to happen like you think it's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But our challenge as the team was to lean into that and to lean into their courage, these women who really believed that if, if people only really knew what was happening to them, they really, really would want to do something about it. And so mm-hmm. our, our challenge is to lean into that and is yeah. to not turn away and not get cynical, um, but do our best to share their stories, to do what they ask us to do. You know, I'm seeing a really profound connection between that and the overcoming of that cynicism. And what we talked about earlier, the overcoming of the cynicism, when you're on the couch sitting there going, well, why, you know, why is it going to change? Exactly. Why do I have any reason to believe that anything is going to be different? It hasn't been now. And you overcame that. And there's a real link there between that and, and, and overcoming the same cynicism on this grand scale and being like, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way just because it's been that way. Right. Right. And I know, well, I mean, all I have to do is embrace my part, my role, you know, and being present in that room and hearing their stories there, they were, they were giving us the gift of their story, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and so my job is to share their story wherever and however I can. And I can't predict the outcome. I can't make someone care about this issue. But I sure as hell can share the story. And yeah. her story grabbed me. It's grabbed 14 other, 13 other women, you know, who mm-hmm. came together around this idea and went and climbed a huge mountain about it. It's, it's grabbed groups of people all over the United States and around the world. So I think there's just power in storytelling. There's power in sharing these stories and, and, and also breaking down the statistics. I mean, I can tell you there's 17 million women that experience, you know, sexual conflict, I mean, sexual violence in, in conflict zones. But that's not going to motivate you to do anything. But when I tell you Esperanza's story mm-hmm. and I share her, her beautiful smile with you and, you know, kind of illustrate this is a real person, this is a grandmother, this is a mother, this is a sister, um, 
that yep. that's motivating. That's something yep. that someone can can relate to and can hold on to. And I and I think that's the I think that's the I think that's the role that needs to happen. That's the way that we need to, you know, start talking about these big huge global issues is in the context of story, of personal story. Yep, definitely. And that's where change begins to happen. Um and uh that's why your story is so important and I'm so glad we have the opportunity to uh uh, to have you on uh, on the show, uh, tell us briefly about the. I understand there's a UN petition now that's currently underway related to related to this. Yes, there is a UN petition. I think I believe it's 1325, um, and it's a, it's resolution 1325 on women, peace, and security. Um, it's basically for the first time the international peace and security agenda focused on conflicts disproportionate impact on women and the need for women's involvement in conflict resolution and peace building. Um, you know, that, that, that resolution was enacted in 2000, and 15 years later, mm-hmm. you know, we're still talking about this issue. So our, our hope is that as, as One Million Thumbprints team, as we're sharing these stories and sharing about this and raising awareness, we're gathering thumbprints from people, whether it's online digitally or in person at, you know, gatherings and groups, we get people to actually, you know, physically put their thumbprint on a piece of canvas, you know, and, and it's really just to illustrate and to honor Esperanza's story, um, but -hmm. also to illustrate just like a petition. And we're using thumbprints as basically your name and email and, and, you know, let's gather names and emails of people that are saying, you know what, this is an important issue. We really do need to say something about this. And so as we gather a thousand, five thousand, you know, hopefully a million thumbprints at some point in time, we're going to be sending those to the UN and saying, Look, this is a thousand people that care about thirteen twenty five. You know, five thousand people that care about women in conflict zones. Let's talk about this. What are we doing about this? So sure. that's our what that's our advocacy piece, really. Mhm, absolutely. So what can people that are listening do to get involved and help out? Um, give us your thumbprint. Number 1, uh you can go to 1millionthumbprints.org and there are a myriad of ways to connect. Uh there's a tab there to add your thumbprint to the cause. Again, that's just your name and email. Um you can donate. We are, you know, still fundraising uh as part of this Kilimanjaro climb. We're fundraising to fund programs in, um, that are run by an organization called World Relief. That's our implementing partner um, right now. And their programs on the ground are the ones that we sat in Congo and learned about. They're village peace committees. They're trauma care support groups. They are um, they're seed, feed, um, tools and seed programs. Uh, they're economic savings for life programs. There's a myriad of different programs that are actually helping women specifically women in uh some of these conflict zones. And so that's what we're raising funds to to uh try to build up these programs. And um women after women that we sat with in the Congo told us about these groups, about the savings for life groups, about these trauma care groups and how they felt so alone, at, you know, because when when a woman is raped or or attacked in a, you know, in a violent way or sexual way in these places, Obviously, there's the trauma that comes to her, you know, on her body, but there's also the mm-hmm. the trauma of being ostracized by her family, mm-hmm. by her neighbors, 
um, everybody. So these support groups and these um, these programs are literally life saving in many in many instances. So on the wow. One Million Thumbprints webpage, you can you can donate, you can give us your thumbprints, um, you can share. We we would just love any and all involvement. Great, very cool. And I got the link to uh, the One Million Thumbprints website. Uh, actually on my website as well. So if you go to markmywordsradio.com, uh, you read the description of this episode, you'll see the One Million Thumbprints link there um, as well. So uh, very good. And we are just about out of time, although I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours about this. <laughs> um, so, um, so before we wrap up for the evening and we get some of your final thoughts, um, I just want to tell listeners about my next show, which is going to be on March 1st, two weeks from tonight. And then I'll tell you what, can you expect, what you can expect from um, one of our upcoming shows here on the Life Coach Radio Network over the next few days. So my next show, again, is two weeks from tonight on March 1st. I'm going to be speaking with another amazing woman. Uh, Cheatham Knable has an eight-year-old son who was diagnosed with dyslexia just about eight months ago. He's a really bright kid, but he can't read. So with, low le- with a low-level reading vocabulary, uh, her son was limited to low-level context books, which while suited to his reading level were not suited to his intellectual level, which was fully capable of processing a higher context chapter book. So out of her own desire to help her son, she discovered a way to write books that are low vocabulary level but high context so that a dyslexic child can read and enjoy them. Her technique is going to enable dyslexic children everywhere to practice fluency and comprehension at much higher levels than has been possible previously, which is going to result in increased self-confidence that so many dyslexic children lack uh, due to their inability to read. So we're going to meet her uh, on the next show that night and discuss her first children's book, Sam is Stuck, which is due to come out this month. So join me here two weeks from tonight as we learn about what she's doing to help her eight-year-old son and other children with dyslexia have a full life unencumbered by his dyslexia. You can sign up to receive announcements about my show by joining my email list at markmywordsradio.com. Just click on the home page or click on the home link and then click on subscribe to my free newsletter, that button right above my picture. You could also set up an auto reminder at blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork and just scroll to the next episode of Mark My Words and click the blue reminder button so that you won't miss it. And join us also here on the Life Coach Radio Network on Wednesday, April 17th, as Divya Parekh hosts A Physical Therapist Perspective, Why Movement Leads to a Long and Healthy Life. As we know, overall health must address all aspects of well-being, mind, body, and soul. So in this program, the audience will determine the role of physical therapy and the patient-physical therapist partnership in total health and well-being. Listeners will learn how to address the effects of movement dysfunction and prevent it in the first place as well, utilizing a physical therapist. Again, that's Wednesday, April 17th at noon. And, of course, all of our broadcasts are archived for you to listen to at your leisure. Just go to blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork and use the search bar at the top of the page. Uh, And I'm sorry, again, that's noon Eastern time. Um, So, Chelsea, as we say goodnight, first of all, I want to thank you so much again uh, for being with us this evening. And um, we'd just like to ask your final thought on tonight's topic. What is it as you tell your story, uh, as you tell Esperance's story? What is it that you want listeners tonight to take away 
that they can use to enhance their own lives? I think it's just the idea of of uh, being part of a shared humanity. You know, it's uh, it's hard to identify perhaps with something happening in the Congo or in Syria or some other far off place. But if we can think of ourselves in the context of, of human beings and of fellow human beings, um, of fellow sisters, of fellow brothers, I think that that just helps break it down just enough. And, you know, and my, my passion is to help people figure out how to work these issues, these passions that they have into their everyday lives. And so not to get overwhelmed with something as big as the refugee crisis or, you know, sexual violence against women in war zones. It's such a big, huge, um, huge issue. But really just try to identify on a personal level and find something to do. Find some, some way to respond, whether that's giving your thumbprint online or, um, or just reading something new about an issue and not, just not turning away from it, I guess. Um, I think that's the first step is to, to lean in to these issues mm-hmm. and to these passions. And mm-hmm. I think for, for me, for on a personal level, it was, it was just I, you know, I wanted to live passionately. I wanted to live a different kind of life than I was living, but I had to get myself physically to a point of being able to do the things I really felt like I was called to do. And mm-hmm. I think that's my my hope, and that's what I've been encouraged by so many people in, in these support groups I've been a part of, is that people are kind of grabbing hold of the reins, you know, and saying, you know what, I, I do want to do more with my life. I do want to do other things. I have, whether it's a goal of climbing a mountain or um, or being part of some trip or some group or, or giving back in some way, but just being able to kind of figure out what do I need to do to get myself ready for that and start just taking baby steps, <laughs> do a couch to 5K yep. program, you know, get off the couch yep. and just start walking, whatever it is, and and uh, that's my hope. Great. Awesome. Yeah, you know, we don't have to change the world. We just have to make a difference. And uh, that's what it sounds like you're talking about. So, Chelsea, thank you so much for your insights tonight, for telling your story. Um, And on behalf of all of the women that telling your story helps, thank you. Thank you for them um, as well. And uh, it was really great having you on the show tonight and speaking with you. And I wish you the best of luck as you continue in your journey forward. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for allowing me to share about it. Well, certainly, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you once again. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, as I invite you to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, just go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. If you'd like to follow the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, just visit us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork and then click on the follow button. Also, visit our website at www.lifecoachradionetworks.com and learn about all of our networks. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. You can listen to Mark My Words live on the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as listen to any previous show from my archives at markmywordsradio.com and on iTunes by searching Mark My Words. I look forward to speaking with you all again next time. Thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night.